Hello and welcome to the Huddersfield Town Social. My name is Greg Mara. Joining me as ever are Cameron Pope, Ian Kilroy and Gaz Kay. Uh, it's been quite a week to be a town fan. Varying emotions from the frustration and disappointment of being unable to sign a striker on a deadline day to the, well, the, the desperation of wanting Huddersfield Town to win against Luton yesterday to the hilarity um, of, of what preceded those events last night on Twitter as we record this on, on, on Sunday at lunchtime. I, I, I genuinely haven't had as much um, kind of fun in the last 24 hours as, as I have now in, in, in a cheapish kind of manner. But Town somehow came away against Luton with a point in, in a game that devoid of much quality. Um as Lee Bromby pointed out, um, where do we begin? It, it, it's it's February the seventh, and we still haven't won this year. It's a nightmare, lads. I mean, you guys have got the joy of having me on camera, and you might be able to see on my forehead I've got a massive lump right underneath my headline, and that is from banging my head against the fucking wall watching another performance that just doesn't seem to change. It's the same old story. We do not threaten, we tread water. And I thought Nathan Jones captured it succinctly after the game, and he said, I'm just disappointed we didn't get that second goal, as I think that would have been enough. Of course it would have been enough. Of course it would have been enough. We were never going to score a goal from open play. The, the, the one time we actually looked like threatening from open play was when Dwayne Holmes almost converted that crosser in uh, midway through the second half. And that only came, that only came because Luton gave the ball away in the left back position. That was the only thing we created from open play in the whole game. And okay, the goal we capitalised, it was a good flick on and a dummy and, 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 and Naby was in the right place at the right time. But once again, we just do not threaten and it's so alarming. I've I've gone back now because we're still, okay, into the second month of 2021, like we've said. We haven't won a game, okay? Looking back at the results we've had, looking back at the games we've had, nothing seems to change. So, Luton game, two shots on target, okay? 60% possession, we drew 1-1. Stoke, we had 71% possession. We had four shots on target. That's, you know, positively a record for us almost. We drew 1-1. Bristol City, okay, we had six shots on target, but, you know, like, we still lost 2-1, didn't we? We still lost 2-1 with 64% possession. Millwall, 68% possession. We had a grand total of one shot on target. Watford, we had 47% possession. One shot on target. Reading, 52%. Two shots on target. So if you take out Bristol City, where we absolutely battered them, that's five games. We've had 10 shots on target and three goals. That's a shot on target every 45 minutes. And it's two and a half hours per goal. It's two and a half hours per goal. And okay, in the Bristol City game, in which, you know, we were lucky not to get something, we had six shots on, on target. But we only scored once. And in that game, defensive errors let us down. So the moral of the story is we can't attack. And the one time we do attack, we have to, because we've already shipped two early goals and we still can't crack them. Josh Karoma is still our top scorer. And he's missed 11 championship games through injury. I just don't see this problem turning around. And I, I'm... I, put my neck out there a few weeks ago on this podcast and said town are safe from relegation. I want to hear by eat humble pie and retract that statement because I just don't know. I don't, I see us in free fall at the moment. And, and, and yesterday was just, Oh, it, I don't know what the opposite of the icing on the cake is. Honestly, it's like, it's like the butter that lines the tin. It's just all congealed and crusty. Like it's, I, I'm, I'm sick of watching it now. I, I'm, I'm running out of excuses to not watch the midweek games. There's only so many trips to Morrison's I can make over the time that town are playing. You know, honestly, it's like, it's, it's, it's I'm tearing my hair out watching this. I don't see how it's going to get any better. 
I think the way it's going, Cam, you'll probably run out of analogies before Town win their next game. I th- listen, Luton were everything that Town weren't yesterday, I thought, between the 11th minute when they first scored and Town somehow scrambling an equaliser out of nothing. They absolutely dominated the game. Um, I'm sure we'll get on to Lee Bromby and his commentary, but you know, at one point he said that Luton's football was, quote, simple. You know, he's not wrong. You know, they were simple and they were effective. Luton should have won that game. And, you know, hands down, we, we scrabbled the point. And, you know, I think sitting here now the next morning, it's a bloody good point, a really good point, uh, and could turn out to be important. But, you know, one decent delivery into the box. Sluger only had one save to make, and he made a hash of that, and we scored. But, you know, to win any game, we've got to score two and three goals because we make so many simple individual errors. You know, Nabi Sai yesterday followed up Keo's last week. But, there's, you know, there's a saying in football that, you know, when, when you make a mistake, never make a second. You've got to make sure that your next decision after making a mistake is a good one. And that happened against Stoke. Keo made the mistake. Nabi Sai then made another mistake straight after by fouling the lad. Yesterday, he made a mistake. He gave the ball away. But, you know, he then goes racing after it and leaves a massive gap for, for, for uh, Luton to play into. Horrendous, horrendous, you know, horrendous defending. And once we conceded, I was really concerned because the body language was awful. You know, I'm starting to worry that the players are starting to think, is this actually going to work? You know, all of this this football, is it actually going to lead anywhere? I, you know, I, I don't want to single out in Benza because the lad's been a bit of a revelation this year, but he looked like a player that was disappointed to still be here. I'm wondering if he was playing for a January move and it's not it's not come to pass. You know, we, we created one or two passages of play that, that looked okay, but as usual with town, they, they dwindled to nothing. But every time Luton put a cross into the box and their delivery into the box was quality, I have to say, yesterday. They looked like scoring. You know, we've got massive problems. that The form doesn't need speaking about. We are now officially bottom of the form table over the last 10 games. Um. We don't look like we've got much of a fight for a relegation battle. And and I think fans are saying, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. We'll go again in the summer. Guys, we're already in a relegation battle. You need to wake up. And the teams are in the relegation battle with us, the rivals that that we're looking at. And actually, I think calling Luton a relegation rival is doing them a disservice at the minute. They don't look like a relegation team. But when you look at those down there, the Coventries and Rotherham's, I mean, Rotherham are absolutely flying at the minute. You know, we've got a problem. We've got a real big problem. Yesterday's game for me, it was at 1am and um, I had a pretty busy day yesterday, a very busy day between football and birthday parties for kids and stuff. And somehow I thought I was just going to watch it back on delay this morning. Anyway, it got to one o'clock and I thought, oh, stuff it. I'll just, I'll just put it on for a couple of minutes and, and see what's going on. And the first things I hear, first off, it's uh, DTS on the commentary. And I'm thinking, I don't like that normally. Like, we, we all know there's a little bit of uh, propaganda when it comes to town uh, town staff talk, commentating on town games. You get that naturally. I've kind of got over that a little bit now. We're a few games into that kind of experiment. And okay, we have it. But the first thing he says is, I don't even have a team sheet. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And then straight away, I was entertained. And I'm like, I'm going I'm to have to stay up and watch a little bit of this game. And then the second thing he said was he didn't have a replay screen in front of him either. And now people are paying 10, 10 pounds to watch this game on iFollow. And we've got commentators that don't have a team sheet or don't even have a replay screen in front of them. Anyway, the game kicks off and, and Luton start pretty well. And they go down the left-hand side and we make a hash of it between Nabisar and um, Schofield doesn't come and collect too well. 
However, the only thing um, DTS can say is, I don't know what's going on because I can't see because there's a massive pole in front of my of where I'm sitting. And as, as soon as I heard that, I'm just like, right, I'm in for the game. That's it, I'm here. And unfortunately, the commentary was probably the best part of the entire evening until, until the Twitter stuff kicked off later on. Luton played pretty bloody well. They pressed extremely high. I think looking back at how we played last week, um, when, when um, I think we, we, we were trying to play out from the back between Naby Sarr and, and Richard Keogh and what they were doing, they were allowing them to play it forward slowly with like a, a concentrated press where they allowed them to drive it forward themselves. But the way Luton went about their business was they, 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 they pushed, they overcommitted on the, on the press. So every time Naby Sarr got it, they pushed five and six forward. And for the mistake for the goal, there were six Luton guys pressing on four town defenders. And Naby Sarr's made a horrendous decision with an awful pass. And Lee Bromby couldn't even excuse that. He was struggling to find the words to explain what had gone wrong with that option that um, Naby Sarr took. And we find ourselves 1-0 down again. Before that, I thought we were pretty shit. I thought we started flat. And then, as town often do, when we do fall behind, we, we seem to do okay. But it's a real different thing playing well when behind from being able to dictate play when ahead or, or equal. For the middle of the game, we were fine. We were all right. The game was a bit huff and puff. It looked like two relegation-threatened teams battling it out and, and that the game was really important. It reminded me a lot of how away games were prior to COVID in that if this was last year or two years ago, well, I know we were in the Premier League at that time, but say it was a couple of years ago and that was the game that we had, you'd be happy enough walking away with a point. Luton are a decent enough team. Bromby's exact quote, guys, got me, it cracked me up and all. He goes, Luton don't play like us. We like to play it down on the floor or something like that. They play pretty simple, really. I'm like, yeah, pretty fucking simple that they're above us in the table. Why don't we play a little bit more simple then? Carlos Corbran before the game says, Luton are a very good team and that's why they're above us in the table. You don't have to be a very good team to be above us in the table, Carlos, unfortunately, with where we are at the moment. We're on a horrendous run of form because we just cannot create anything. We cannot create clear-cut chances. The only thing we had yesterday, which is an improvement, we were pretty good at set pieces. Obviously, we scored from the free kick and even from corners, we looked, we looked a bit of a handful. We looked okay. But we just give chances away far too easily. And teams that struggle in leagues do that. We have to work so hard to create chances to score goals. It takes a run from midfield or a back heel like last week. We have to do something really special to score a goal. Even like a tap-in, the first effort doesn't go in. We've got to get a tap-in at the back post from Naby Sarr because the first opportunity doesn't go in. But when we give chances away, they're so simple. They're so simple. Men are free here, there, and everywhere because it comes from a simple back pass, a, a simple error from the from the um, centre back Navi yesterday. It was just a game that was just like you say. It felt like the players knew it was important, and I think that's what happened with um, Toffolo at the end. It was a clear sending off for me. He's gone over the ball. His legs high, studs up. I'm not saying he meant it. I think he takes a little bit of a bad touch and he's pissed of himself because he knows how important the game is, and and he goes flying in and unfortunately gets a red card for it. Lee Bromby said of that that they will be an appeal probably and it'd be overturned most likely. What? What are you on about, man? It, it, it's it was it was a simple red card, but look, it is where it is. The point I actually don't think it's too bad there. I think guys wanted seven points from five games we were talking about before, and I don't think that's possible anymore, is it, guys? I think Wickham was the fifth game, and that'd be a maximum of five points now. Um, it, it was an important game, and it is it is it's it's just a, such a change of fortune in that. In January, I'm City are happy clapping, as everyone claimed, um, with a nine out of ten. Looking with a bit of recruitment, we could we could we could do really well and and push up the table. Instead, we only brought in one guy in Rolando Irons, who, who I I've called him Vanla Irons. I know Ot likes to call him Irons, and I know he's not Irons Ot, but I'm going to call him Vanla Irons just for you. He's a similar type of guy. He's all effort, but there isn't much product there just yet. And I don't know if there will be when he gets good. I think 
is that similar kind of player. He really relieves pressure really well. But apart from him that should have come in in October, we only brought in um, Dwayne home. Dwayne, obviously, we only, we're on first name terms now based on the commentary yesterday. Honestly, if, if anyone didn't watch the game on live yesterday with the town commentary and have only watched on replay, which I don't, if you watch the highlights, I don't think it has DTS and Lee Brombry on. I think it'll have um, the Quest TV commentators. I don't think it'll be the town comment. If you can get hold of or get an account with access to, to the actual town commentary, do it because you'll learn more about the internal workings of town and what they think of the players than anything we can say, anything anyone will write in a paper because it's raw and natural when you're on commentary. And yesterday was a really good insight into how Bromby thinks thinks we are. So honestly, if you can go out and listen to it, do. My, my particular highlight of that was when he, after the seventh cross to the front post, said, oh, finally, we've got a touch on it at the, foot, foot, at the front post. First time, we've put seven balls in there in the first time. And somebody, and I'm sorry if, if you're listening, but somebody on Twitter, their response was genius because he said, yeah, imagine that. Try signing a fucking striker, you dickhead, which I thought was excellent. And he picked on Bakuna. He was quite critical of Bakuna all the way through the game, talking about his quality, but how he struggles to put that into, into play. And then he and he then he did his usual of high fiving himself about knowing all about Jewsbury Hall who's playing for Luton. Said he'd watched him at Blackpool that we'd approached Leicester, but he was quote one you'd want to own. So, you know, if we were that if we were that close to him, why was he playing for Luton? I thought he was one of Luton's best players yesterday. I mean, to touch on something we mentioned in all that as well, um, I think there's a point about the red card, um, and I've seen uh, shockingly, and I held back last uh, last time out. For the red card on Reese Norrington Davis, you know, and um, um, I, I think you know from the red card in the Stoke game, I just think that I, I I wanted to go in on that because I saw so many misguided opinions on Twitter, and I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything because not everyone wants to have the laws of the game force fed to them. But I think we probably need it after looking at some of the responses to Toffolo's challenge yesterday. I mean, fucking hell. Bloody hell, it's an awful challenge. It's a terrible tackle. And it goes back to what we've been saying time and time again about game management. Okay, we've been gifted away back into the game. Okay, you know, we've we've um we scored from a set piece, which is the only way we were gonna score. But there's no way we 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 deserve to be level in that game. They were all over us. They, you know, the woodwork twice, didn't they? So when you've been gifted a route back into the game like that and you're just winding the clock down in added time, don't go kicking them just outside the box in, in, in a brilliant range to whip something in at goal. I mean, Toffolo, it's, you know, it's, he's not a dirty player, but it's a, it's a shocking challenge. You knew as soon as, as soon as the whistle had gone, you knew what was happening and you knew it was off. And so if anyone's shocked and I, I really question like the way in which people watch football, um, the intent in that is irrelevant. I saw so many people saying, oh, you know, he's a nice lad. He's, you know, yeah, I, I don't doubt that he is. But fucking hell, nice men can make terrible, terrible challenges for the ball. Uh, he's way over the top of it. He's out of control. He's off. And, and now we lose him for another game. And it, and this is a crucial player as well. We find it hard to create chances as it is. We've got the dynamic fullbacks that are responsible for a lot of our chance creation. And now we don't have one of them for the next game. And this is because we can't ride a game out. We can't just shut up shot, clear the ball. We're going into unnecessary challenges on the edge of the box and we were very nearly made to pay Glenn Ray hits the post in other time I, I saw Schofield beat and I thought that, that's it that's it we're done so I mean it's just it's simple things just closing out games you know and realising the luck we've had to actually get back into these things at, at the same time because it's, it's a it's a terrible challenge and I'm not having any debate about it There there is no debate that is a red card that is a red card clear as day and you will never see them not given like it's it, it's just it's incontrovertible um i need to get that off my chest because that's twice in a week now we've had we've had bogus um 
We've had extremely strange debates about about red cards. There's absolutely no way around that, and it's just another example of poor, uh, of you know, of, of poor match control from town. Just to point out that Cameron is a trained referee. You know, he's he's not just an opinionated idiot. <laughs> he has a he has depends been who you ask. Well, yeah, uh, definitely not Tony Cars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We'll leave that there. That's that's an internal joke. Um, story, story for another day. <laughs> um, I think we should leave the Luton game there because there's probably not much more we can go into it and, and go on back onto the transfer window because we sat down last week. We, we were very, very much hopeful that, oh, yeah, the, the sniffing around. Uh, we had Lee Gregory was rumoured to be coming in, Lukas Jukovic, um, Adebayo, who we were in for, but then we weren't in for, we ended up going to Luton. Um, to, to the extent that we are ringing around clubs at, on the 11th hour trying to get in Matt Smith. Uh, Matt Smith, that lump, how the hell how the hell he's fitting into our system and uh, some some reject from Ipswich Town. Trying to find a way to put this diplomatically. It was a fucking shambles. And I don't understand. And I said this last week. We seem to be signing players for Chris Powell, whereas we have Carlos Colbrand in charge. And it kind of the same thing happened again. Um, when you're ringing around clubs at the 11th hour, we're linked to uh, Umar Nias now, who hasn't played since June, I believe. Um, so that's what? Eight, nine months of football? Huddersfield Town Squad as it is, is threadbare. That was evidence yesterday. We've got no second option that we can go to. I, I had a bit of a whinge and a moan about it this week. Some try to, you know, and I've said it all along. There seems to be a perception among some people that um, you you can't demand a, a feasible squad in this division. But you know, we are in free fall. We don't have a quality in, in that final third, and it's starting to show. And I, honestly, I despair at where we are when it comes to recruitment because we have sold so many good players and we've still not replaced the likes of uh, Grant and Nunier and we're scrabbling round for Matt Smith. It's a bit of a joke at the minute. Let me let me read you a, a tweet that Matt that the club put out on the first of January this year. And this is a quote from Mr Mark Devlin. I firmly believe that we now have a clear plan, a strong identity and a renewed feeling of positivity and optimism and I'm excited for what the future holds. So that was the 1st of January this year. Can anybody tell me what the fucking plan is? Because from the outside looking in, Mark, my old chum, I can't see one. Um, you know, this is the, the transfer window. I, I think we did we did okay little bits of business. You know, you look at the, the lad we brought in from Ireland, and, you know, there's a couple in there, these B-teamers, that actually I could see why you'd invest 150, 200 grand in these lads. They've got the potential. But when it comes to bringing in first-team players, we brought in Richard Keogh, just make of that what you will, Dwayne Holmes, who actually I thought was probably the most effective attacking player yesterday. But, you know, I'm not entirely sure he's what we needed. I think he fits in Carlos' system. But I'm not entirely sure he's what we needed once Karoma and Karoma uh, and others are fit. But, you know, the striker thing is just... I mean, shambles is the right word, Greg. You know, we, we were in for Lee Gregory and, and, and I've got somebody who's who knows a little bit of the internal workings at Stoke. We just weren't willing to pay anywhere near what Stoke needed as a contribution to wages. That's why he's at Derby. You know, we were beaten by Luton Town to a, a, another exciting prospect, but a prospect who would probably be first team ready. 
you know, a lad at Ipswich who they paid £2 million for and has been an absolute disaster. We couldn't even convince them to let us have him. We were then to some bloke at Norwich who I've never heard of. And, and as you say, then last minute scrabbling Matt Smith. Does that sound like a club with a plan? Because it doesn't to me. It sounds like a club who decide at the last minute they need to do something and then try and find the cheapest way to fill an empty chair. Ridiculous. It, it just seems to be another case of trying to, uh, t- to me, it comes across that they're trying to appease the fans. Um, the can hear is all clamouring for a striker. Then we wait till the end of the window. It's as if, yeah, any bum on a seat will do. And now we're after Umani Ass. And I don't think that that would be a terrible um, choice for town now. I think it would have been a terrible choice for town a month ago and we had the free, you know, we had the full transfer window to work with. But it's Ladoke okay, has got a little bit of Premier League experience. He was treated really badly by Ronald Koeman at Everton. Um, and so, you know, he, 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 he did okay for Hull in a, in a, in a, in a sidebound for relegation. He, you know, he struggled at Cardiff, but again, that's a side that got relegated. Um, but he's not going to be match fit. And this is someone you need hitting the ground running. So I think now we're picking from the free agent market might not be a bad idea, but but bloody hell, we, what did we do sitting on our asses for, for four weeks? And so there doesn't seem to be any pattern of play. We jump from Matt Smith to Adebayo uh, to Nias. It's like, well, well where's, where's the cohesion? You know, what, what mould of striker are we looking for? Are we just looking for anyone who's had a bit of championship playing time? Just to say we got a striker and there you go. And if he doesn't play, doesn't play well, it's not our fault. I, I just, yeah, I'm with you. I don't really see what the plan is. There doesn't seem to be a set demographic that we're looking for. Doesn't it's Yeah, it's a whole square peg in round holes kind of situation, really. And and, and all this time, you know, we've still got Josh Karoma leading the, um, the, the, you know, the score markets from, from the treatment table. Look, the plan is pretty actually simple, guys. It's to get to the end of this season and rebuild. That's where it is. We're rebuild mode. You're looking at Dwayne Holmes, and again, Lee, again, if you can listen, watch the game yesterday with the town commentary, do because there's little gems in there, little snippets of what's going on. When Lee Bromby was talking about Dwayne Holmes, you were talking about him playing in a three, and it offers a lot going forward with um, Lewis O'Brien and Johnny Og. But that's because Bakuna's going in the summer, and that's where Dwayne Holmes will fit in. So I think that's what the plan is there. I don't think he's necessarily what we needed right now, Gazi, right? But I think going forward next year, they're looking at him in that middle three. Um, but what the most alarming thing to me was everyone, like we've been first off talking about a plan B for town for months. We said that about three games into the season when Carlos couldn't adapt in game to change games if it wasn't going in our direction. Now we blame the squad for that, that it's not big enough. Yeah, we've been there before, but also tactically, we never really kind of changed it. Um, but what really got me was we've, we can't, like Fraser can be yesterday. He did not. He did nothing. He literally he offered nothing. It's a good job Andy Kay isn't on here because we could have hold it, held him accountable for it. But he just he didn't offer very much. And even like you say on the cross coming in, the, the seventh cross where nobody got on the end of it. Fraser was nowhere near it, not even close to it. Yesterday looked like a much more. I think we are changing the style of play, and I'll, I'll I'll work on this. But I think we are changing the style of play a little bit. Yesterday the fullbacks didn't get anywhere near as far forward as as they have done recently. Um, or at the beginning of the season. And we did look a little bit stronger at the back. We didn't look like we were going to concede too many. We might, we, I think we'd have lost it 2-1 and probably deserved that. But the draw wasn't too unfair in our favour. But I think the club thought we had enough. I think the club thought we've had enough. Yeah, all the fans have been like, oh, we need a striker, we need a striker. And pundits have been saying we need a striker. And if you, if pundit, everyone said we need a striker. Even chickens come around a little bit to understand we needed it. Maybe it's more than a beacon towards, I think we need it football. And not just for the sake of having a striker, but because we need a striker because no one's bagging at the centre-forward position. The club are flapping. I think that's what this shows, that they've gone through January thinking we're all right. Everyone's predicted this downturn in form. It's happened and they've gone, oh, fuck. We are in the shit. 
but they only realised they were in the shit two days out from the end of the transfer window. So they've had to flap and scrape and scrap and contact other clubs to see who we can get and who's available. And that's why all the people linked to us doesn't don't really fit into any kind of mould because all we're trying to do again is get to the end of the season so we can rebuild then. And that to me is more worrying. I'm, I'm actually quite glad we didn't get a striker in because when you start flapping like that, you make bad decisions. You're bringing people you don't need. Richard Kerr, for, for example, he's proved himself already. He's, he's made a mistake last week. He was okay yesterday, but he's not the type of guy you want going forward for the next few years. We understand we brought him in as a stopgap, but that's what you get when you try and bring in stopgaps. You get them wrong quite a lot. That happens quite a lot. So I'm not too upset we didn't bring somebody in the last day. I'm just fucking annoyed we didn't start looking at it on January fucking 1. That's when we needed a striker in. We have a system that we admit takes players two, three. He's, he's, Carlos Colburn's already said it about um, Nice, um, that if he does come in, we'll need a little bit of time to get up to speed. What's the point then? We'll be so many weeks down the, and Karoma might be back by then, although is he out now for the end of the season? Does anyone, is he, is he definitely out, Cam? Two, two months, another couple of months, is it? Another couple, another couple of months. So they said April time, didn't they? Which is more or less the end of the season, really, isn't it? Well, that's it. And then by the time everyone gets up to speed now, at the end of the January, it, wouldn't be, it needed people bringing in on January fucking one, but it took five days, didn't it, to bring in Rolando that we knew were coming in four months ago. There was no urgency because they thought we were fine. And with the results going the way it has done, with a small squad that's been shrinking week by week on injuries, as everyone forecasted, the only people that didn't see that coming was a club. <laughs> They're the only ones that didn't see it coming. Everyone else knew what was going to fucking happen. We've admitted we were wrong. We thought it'd come in November. It came in January. It got to the end of January and we started flapping and we had to look around and see what we could get. And we weren't willing to financially push it out so far to bring one of them in. But I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Dwayne Holmes, is, I think, has been great. And he was man of the match for me yesterday, Gaz, just going back to something you said earlier on. I thought he was fantastic going forward. Again, it surprised me a little bit. I didn't think he'd be as good as he was, but he, he was great. So that part of the transfer window was good, but no striker and, and not even looking for one by the sound of it into the last couple of days. Fucking mental. And, and if we get sucked into this relegation battle any more than we are doing. We're all going to look back at that and say, what the hell were we doing? What were we doing? It comes back to recruitment and the processes behind it. And I've said this all along. We had a blueprint four years ago and Stuart Webber was here before he went and to, to further his own career. I don't hold anything against him for that. Some people still regard him as a snake, but um, they probably don't work in the real world. Um that was a blueprint to, to continue following. It it was easy. It was simple. You, you should always be planning ahead. You see clubs that are, have been doing that. Southampton have been performing out of the skin. Yeah, they got knocked for nine by Manchester United, but um, you know they, they were top of the league at one point in the season in the Premier League because they scout ahead for managers. They scout ahead for players. Effectively, that's what uh, Stuart Webber brought to this club three or four years ago. All we needed to do was continue following that. We diverged from that somewhere in the first season of the Premier League and every single transfer window since has been a poor one for this football club. And ultimately, that recruitment is costing us dearly. It was obvious uh, to us months ago what we needed. And yeah, Rolando Ares has finally come. And this is, again, where you start to question the club. They could have and should have got that uh, deal done over the line in October and didn't. And we've had to wait three, three, three months for it. Adebayo, he's come out and he's an interview and said um, that it was well known that we were in for him. So now some say goalposts were moved. Who moved them goalposts is up for discussion. But we were in for the lad, and he kind of would have fit the mould of what we wanted to sign. But we didn't get him. He's instead gone to Luton. There's something inherently wrong with the way we recruit, and unless that changes. 
we're just going to be in this situation in 18 months' time again, and we could be in League One at that time by then. And it's a really big concern. It's not difficult. I don't think it's as difficult as they're making it out to be. Have a, oh, I'm going to say process, and I'm going to say trust it, and I don't want to say it, but no, you have a process. Stuart Webber had it, and even to an extent Ross Wilson had it. You've got a process, and you follow it. Um, this process is just, you know, get away with as much as you can before you get found out. And it's not good in the long run for the success of this football club. And uh, that's ultimately what we all want. So we're not we're not having a go for, for the sake of having a go, which some some people think, you know. I suspect they'll, they'd, you know, they'd support the club if Fred, Fred West was in charge of it. You know, we're having a, a constructive criticism of, of the recruitment, which again... And the leadership of the football game, which is, was let us down. And none of us want to see another fucking rele- relegation on our books. Because League One and uh, the the caps, the salary caps that are coming in, that's not that's not going to be very good for this football club. I'm just so disappointed that that almost 12 months on, we, we were so assured that we wouldn't find ourselves in the same situation. Last season was an abomination that should never have happened and should never have happened again. But And here before our eyes, we see it unfolding once more. And we've got, okay, we're at the end, we're start of February now. We've got three months really to arrest this this slump. Or we're going to be back in a situation that we were in where we hosted West Brom, needing a result, last uh, last home game of the season. And that's going to come and catch us up again. You know, that's going to come and catch us up again. That, this, this, it shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't have come to that. You know, the, 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 the double relegation was, was, was a scary phenomenon that should have been put to bed. And we actually had the points on the board to put it to bed as well. We didn't even need to set the world on fire in the second half of the season. We just needed to middle our way through, you know, just do all right at home, pick up your point away. We would have been absolutely fine. And yet here we are with two points from the last 18. And now we're staring down the, bo- the barrel of a gun again. And we, we haven't learned from the mistakes here. And so we're so assured that things are going to be better from next year and that we're going to be able to rebuild. Well, what manager are we going to rebuild under? Because we all know what offering a new contract means. We know that people will be sniffing around and that it'll turn heads and it'll get the promises of, you know, actual backing with actual players that fit a system. And how are we going to, you know, attract players? We're not a big draw. We live, one, we're in dreary Huddersfield with its horrible weather. And, and you know, two, two, if they're not going to look at the shambles the club's been in the last couple of years. We've not exactly got the pulling power we think we have. And we thought that this season was going to be better. And it's not. It's turning out to be exactly the same, exactly the same as the last campaign. So I, I just don't see what we've got to be enthused about at the moment. You know, it's really, really hard going now watching watching this club. You know, there's there's teams that are about to go out of business and drop off the, the face of the earth, and that's that's the real mire. You know, that's the really that's the really end end of the road. But th- this is this next tier up. You know, it's it's okay. We, we've still got a club to go and support at the end of the day. But, but bloody hell, who's going to be here? Who's going to be here by the time we actually get back into stadiums? Because there is nothing to get excited about. And that is why we saw all the furore we saw uh, on Saturday night. You know, fans need a diversion. They do, because what, what good is there to talk about at the club at the moment? You know, we've got no, we've got no reach, out, outreach to the fans. We don't, like, even the whole vaccine push that, that, um, that, that, that Tom Furbank rightly, rightly um, called out. It's, it's that you know we've, we've opened the club up we opened the stadium up to to be vaccinating the public and we you know we don't connect with the fans over it that's all we're asking for we're asking for a bit of a bit of a link up because it's so needed because we're not getting much joy on the pitch and so that is why we saw so much kickoff about you know events that i'm sure we're going to go into um this weekend because there's just so little to get excited about on the pitch you know we're, we're as, as as fans come we you know we're as, as passionate as they come that's, that's why we, we we record this every sunday 
But I don't know about you, lads, but I'm finding it really difficult to motivate myself to watch it now. And, and if I wasn't coming on this show on a Sunday morning, I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I'd bother some weeks. I don't know if I'd bother because I know it's not going to change and I'm, I'm, I'm really not liking the negative atmosphere, but I don't see what's being done to, to address it at the moment. The, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I must be a masochist because um, I, I, like an idiot, I'll probably still be watching it, Cam, I think. Um, I, I, under under much duress and having slept on it, um, I'm about to roll out an unapology, um, which I know will make Ian Kilroy's day. Of course, we're all calling each other by first names today, aren't we, as a homage to Yeah, Ian. I can't wait for this, guys. Just, just so, clear your throat. Make sure this is nice and clear because everyone listen, needs to where, where well, we're going. As my, yeah, as my family will attest, apologising once was difficult enough. Now apologising twice to you guys is even worse. It makes it doubly bad. But, you know, I, about six or eight weeks ago, I, I apologised to Phil and said that, you know, we, we I criticised him roundly for his dismissal of the Cowleys and and I felt that actually he was owed, owed an apology because we could see the shoots of what Carlos was trying to do. This was October, late October, early November time. And you could see where we were trying to take the team and, and, and that felt really positive. Um, I think now you look at where we are now and, and it doesn't feel anything like it did then. You know, Phil and the board just haven't given Carlos what he needs. You know, we talked about this at the time when I apologised to Phil, was that he needed to follow up on it and make sure that, that was round. But also, I think, you know, when we're people accuse us of making this personal sometimes, and it's not personal, this is about the management of the club and included in that senior management is Carlos. You know, I, I was really excited about the way we were playing, the way that we looked. Um, you know, he had a scoring great goals, but <clears throat> there are other people who did point out that as a disciple of Bielsa, Bielsa's format is that they, his teams tend to drop away in Feb, in Jan, Feb and March. And, and that now is coming to pass, you know, murder ball in training and all that sort of stuff. And my real concern is that Carlos is struggling to find a way to arrest the slide. He's surrounded by people who are his people. There's nobody in the club with any real football now to, to sit with him and give him some support. I mean, you know, Lee Brombeck, you know, come on. Um, you know, fans might say I'm fickle with this, but good coaches show flexibility. And whilst I acknowledge what you're saying here, that the full-backs stayed further back than probably any match this season against Luton, you know, we, we're not showing any any sign of being able to deal with the position we're in. The defensive position remains a shambles. Um, so, yes, I'm, I'm not sorry anymore, Phil. Um and I now have to apologise to to Ian Kilroy for for making the apology in the first place. I will say, however, I never said they were a nine out of ten, so I can at least I can keep that. <laughs> yeah, Ian. To be fair, I think you should apologise for that. If we're all having like an intervention session here, like we do on an American sitcom, you know, it's only fair. Never doing it. You're never getting it out of me up until Christmas. Look what the squad's doing since Christmas, right? We've been dog shit because the squad is dog shit. And look how well we performed up until Christmas. And you come back to me and you're saying Carlos Corbin doesn't deserve a 9 out of 10. The, the team, the playing team doesn't deserve a 9 out of 10 for that performance up until then compared to what we've got since then. Nine every day of the week, mate. And you all know it. The one thing that I'm not going to apologise for, which is something I said when they did the Canal Side video, is that the standards remain too low in this club. I still think the standards being set by the people at the top are not good enough. You know, on the transfer. Guys, do you not think though, guys, do you not think that's because we're going through a devolution at the moment, aren't we? We are going back to what we were. We're going back to Huddersfield Town before the Premier League. The legacies are, the best tweet over the transfer window was it, that we've obviously 
done really well with our renovations at Canal Side, probably too well because the gate's so good and our players can come in to sign the transfer forms and join us. Maybe the security is too good now. <laughs> We've spent the Premier League money on a on a fantastic green shed and a wonderful gate. Um, but apart from that, it just, it's just that we're going back to what we were, aren't we? The money's going, the, the parachute payments are going back to Dean Hoyle for the money spent getting us there in the first place. So we're going through the devolution of Huddersfield Town back to what we were pre-Premier League. So the, the message from the top has to be that we're going back to where we were. And so you can't send out a, a, a message that's fantastic. We're going to be great tomorrow. We're going to be great the day after that. We're going to be great in time. And until we get there, it's going to be hard. I think that's a, the kind of tone they're trying to take because they know we are minimizing the budget. We're going to replace players this summer with, with, with players on smaller wages. It's going to make it more difficult for us. So I think they're trying to lower expectations based on our expected uh, budget next year, which... None of us like, and we've gone over it many times, but I suppose we've got to go accept it at some point. We might not like it, but there's not much else that's gonna we can do to sway it. Yeah, but football in itself is going to have to change. Because if you're going on the proviso that um, most clubs are losing three to four million pounds, as, as Phil and Mark Devlin pointed out three or four months ago, that everyone's going to be going through that. And it's only those clubs who, who will no doubt be... Um, breaking FFP arrangements, although that means absolutely sod all these days, does it? Every other club will be going through this. And um, it's not just Huddersfield Town. And the fact is, I think we might have one more year of parachute payments next season. So you would still expect this club to be able to compete a little bit more, given the fact that um, a lot of your biggest wage earners are out of contract at the end of this season. You've already, look at this transfer window, just gone. Ben Hamer's left. The, the lad from Fleetwood, he's not going to be on a quarter of what Ben Hamer was on. So this this kind of hits Jesse Stato saying it was all about wages, why a striker didn't come in. Give over. Get over yourself. That's nonsense. You know, Pritchard's out of contract. Diacarby's left the club. You know, we haven't even mentioned that. All the highlights reel of his time at Huddersfield Town Football Club. These wages are going and they're going to continue to live. Pritchard, Bakuna uh, and Benza that they're all going to be gone at the end of the season and there is going to have to be a rebuild. It's not as... It's, we should be playing pauper because we're not as poor as, as we make out to be. You know, Ian, you talk about going back to what we were before we were in the Premier League. I think we're going back even further than that. We're going back to what we are under Ken Davy in League One. Um, should we Should we? You know, mention what, what came out of the All Together Town meeting about the, the, um, the stadium shares? Uh, uh, from from December, when uh, when asked about it, uh, Mark Devlin said he can't guarantee the stadium shares will be put into a trust, although he believes that's the direction they're currently heading towards. This is a regression to to kind of mid-table League One days with uh, John Dunworth as your coach and Andy Ritchie as your manager. This this is a lot. <laughs> It's a lot more different than what we were in 2013, which had a lot of exciting players like Adam Clayton coming through. Well, there's two questions I have, Greg, based on the back of that. There's two questions that I think all town fans, even the happy clappers that don't understand where the negativity from, I suppose, people like us comes from. The first one is the stadium shares. That's crucial to the longevity of the club. I don't give a shit if town get relegated this year too much. If it happens, it happens, and we, we, we come back next year. Us as town fans will be here forever, right? There may be periods where we don't like the owner and we might not spend money at the club because we want to protest financially. That's all you can do. We've, we're entitled to do that, right? 
and we can stay away. We can do that, but we'll be here in years to come. But the stadium shares are crucial to how town are for the next, uh, what, 100 years? 100 years from now. The mortgage is nearly paid off on it or has been paid off. I think it was around about now when it was due, but of course we've not got the town figures or their accounts just yet. So it's not entirely sure whether we're still paying rent or, or if we get anything else back out from KDSL as a profit. Anyway, that's the first question, stadium shares. And the second one is... You mentioned before, Greg, about are we regressing back further than um, Dean Hoyle? Is that when Phil first came in, he spoke about financing town to a similar level than Dean Hoyle. That's what he said. And what Dean Hoyle did was maximum FFP losses every year. He put in five million, I think it was at that point every season. I'm not entirely sure where it is now, but he put that in it. And that's what we're paying back at the moment as parachute payments. When when Phil joined, he said that's what he'd do. He said he would invest to a similar level as Dean Hoyle did. And now when, I, when I'm saying we're going to go back to what we were, that has to include the, the FFP. And if it doesn't, then we are regressing further, aren't we? And, and that's just, they're the two questions that need answering. And if anyone can put questions to the club, uh, they're the most important ones. They are the most important ones. And the biggest Carlos Colburn fan going, he's been doing fantastic. He's done wonders with it, with being delivered less than shit. But the stadium shares and what financial backing we're actually getting and what we can compete with in the next 10 years is really important to the club. It has to be to everybody. And I don't understand. I don't think people are ignoring it. I think they just don't know it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't think they're actively trying to say it's not important. I don't even know if they're aware of how important it is. I, I think they just, I think they miss it sometimes. And it's really important the club come out and at least answer it. Maybe Devon did answer it. And, and if he has, then that's pretty scary. And it is to me anyway. Phil, Phil made went to great strides when he took over to to negate the, the the comments that he wasn't financially able to support the club. You know, he went on another podcast waving his company accounts about. He did that. Nobody asked him to, by the way. You know, he felt just he felt that he needed to justify his ability to support the club and run the club in the way that it, it has been done under Dean. Um, now that you know, there is a there is a side issue in COVID and that's created a scenario that nobody could see coming. So, you know, I think, as I've said many times on this podcast, cash is king. He's got to preserve the cash position of the club to make sure we sit out the other side. You know, things are looking brighter. Fingers crossed we're going to be back in a stadium next season. But certainly we're not this season, are we? So, you know, he's had to manage that crisis. However, having said all of that, when you look at the income the club has had, not just on parachute payments, which we all know you know, where that money's going and in, into the club is it, it's going back to pay off the previous owner. There's been substantial income from player sales and I can already hear the pedant saying, ah, yes, but if it's £15 million, you only get £1.5 million up front and then £2 million this season. And I, I, Yeah, but surely any players we buy, the format will be the same. So I absolutely don't. That's, that's you know, that's a complete red herring. You know, he's he needs to either now start to show he's got the ability to invest or... You know, and I'm, I can already hear the, the other pedants now going, well, are you going to take over the club? Where's this Where's this line of suitors who wants to take over the club? They existed when we were in the Premier League. They don't exist now. Our club does not have the value it had when we were in the Premier League, even though we were stone cold bottom of the Premier League and fast heading to become one of the worst teams ever in Premier League history in terms of points. It had a massive value at that point because what you were presenting and, uh, and Ian and I have seen a, a prospectus from another potential championship club that's trying to sell themselves to suitors, is you presented a position where actually, yes, you go down, but you've got a lot of money in the bank and you've got every chance of getting back quickly. And that opportunity to find an owner who really, really had deep pockets has been and gone. Now, 
you know, people will have the view that having a town fan in charge is a preference, but this is the this is the at sum of having a, a town fan in, in charge because there's only one or two people in Huddersfield who are town fans that had the kind of money that Dean Oil had in the bank. These people don't exist, so the chance has gone. We're stuck with what we've got, in my opinion. Yeah, I was one of those advocating for a town fan to come in and, and take over the club because we were going to carry on Dean's legacy. We were, we were going to carry on being a club to be proud of in that we were one that had strong links to the community because um, there was no, there was nothing like that ethos that, 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 that Hoyle and Wagner brought. You know, there was a whole buzz around the town. You actually saw young kids wearing town shirts rather than City and United. You know, it was some, it was it was a sight to behold, especially coming back to Huddersfield from from you know, when you lived away, it, it was, it was something that, you know, it made your heart swell. Um, and so I was firmly behind that. And I was really worried that we might sell out and, and, and go to, okay, an investor with deep pockets, but a very little connection to the town. I can see how erroneous that was now. Um, Cause you're quite right guys, you know, not many people uh, over Huddersfield town persuasion have the capital um, about them to take the club forward. You know, one of those was Dean Hoyle and he was selling it. So, you know, and I'm not in a position to say how much money Phil has or hasn't, has or hasn't got because, you know, I guess we, we can all, we can all we can look at the accounts, whatever, we don't know. But from what we've seen so far, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it's a stretch to, 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 to suggest that he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have um, the ability to make good on the promises he's made. You know, it certainly doesn't look that way so far. And so, you know, I'm looking at it now and I'm thinking, well, we haven't really had the investment we thought we were going to get but have we got the you know the ethos the backbone in the club we, we used to have well no we don't even have that either you know because we've lost the whole we've got the whole disconnect with the fans now there's there's, there's widespread uh, apathy uh, around the fan base more and more people are just tuning out and who knows when they're going to be back and so it was a real just a real bum deal a real bum deal and now I really wish that I hadn't been so keen, keen for you know a, a town fan to take over at the helm because all right we don't really have that, that that community spirit anymore and nor do we have the money nor do we have the money to get back up to the level we were at so it, I do scratch my head and think what do we have what what is the legacy you know what what do we have other than a wasted opportunity and so it's yeah the nice memories but I'd like a bit more than the memories really to be quite honest you know the I worst think- thing of the worst thing about it, sorry, Cam, is like I say, no one cares. No one cares anymore. That's the thing. You go on Twitter, Cam, and like you're saying you don't care. No one cares. Everyone's losing interest. I'm I'm pissing myself at the commentary now, not the football anymore. Cam, will you buy a season? You, will you buy a season ticket next year when you're back? No, no, I haven't bought. I, was, I mean, it's partly for, for work, isn't it? But I mean, I, I wouldn't buy one this season um, for obvious reasons. But no, I won't, I won't yeah. be buying next season. And like, okay, well, part of it's because I won't be. Uh, I, you know, I won't be there. But but then but then you know. I, I, uh, to be honest, I, I look at it and do I think do I want to put my money into it at this moment in time? Well, no, I don't. I don't think I want to spend the the three hundred quid, whatever it'll be, on a Saturday watching town. You know, that's that's, that's why I stopped refereeing because I wasn't enjoying my Saturdays anymore. So I, I don't want to go to town and, and have the same feeling. So I don't want to wake up empty on a Sunday morning having watched another nil nil draw. So so no, I, I I can completely see why people are refusing to buy a season ticket and don't want to go. Like fucking hell, if I had a kid who wants to get into football, I wouldn't be taking him to see Huddersfield Town at the moment, and that's really sad. But it's true. It's like Andy yeah. K. Andy K. Sponsors Billy Fraser Campbell this year, and he's like losing interest. He's another one of us, and it's just so. I didn't think something could turn like a fan base against a club so much. And it's, it's apathy that's doing it. They're just losing interest because of what's going on. Guys, are you and Connor going to be going back next year? Uh, yeah, we will. And, and I, I'm just thinking about what Sean said last week on last week's podcast about, you know, you're not, we're not just missing the football. We're missing the, the other bits that go with it. And for me, you know, me and Connor going together, that that's, that's what we do. You know, we go as a, we go as a pair. So yeah, I will. I, you know, I, I, I will go again. And, I, and like you said earlier, 
I'll choose to support them no matter who's in charge and who the manager is anyway. But, but you know what we should do, lads? We should all go down the West Vale Squash Club until this all blows over. That's what we should do. You sure it's open? I heard it closed in 1981. Like that. So they'll be like the, in um, Shaun of the Dead. Just go <laughs> down there and have a pint and wait for this to all blow over. We're waiting there another 30 years though, won't we? Like 2048 will be coming out of there going, is it, is it finished yet? And uh, so it'll be fucking DTS and Lee Bromberg getting on commentary, on commentary <laughs> talking about how good we are and how fucking, how well we're going to go next year once we get everything sorted in the next three transfer windows. We'll be laughing. Well, just taking on what you said there, Cam, you know, what we have been left is a club charter. And, and, and you know, <laughs> we all remember years ago the honesty, integrity and all that nonsense that, that went with that club charter. Now you have this working class club charter, which is just, well, you know, it, it, you know it's pleading, it's pleading kind of poverty in, in the first place. I'm just going to take a couple of lines off it. It's... It's in our hearts to do the right thing by our supporters and our community. And we will show our class uh, off the pitch by treating people correctly. You know, throughout the season, we've seen that not to be the case. They rejected um, money for shirt sponsorship and then let people go rather than keeping them on furlough with the, with the, to try and keep them employed at some stage. That's not working class. That isn't classing in, in the terms of what they're, uh, putting forward, we've we've had uh, you know we've, we've made the joke about Westfield squash club, but you've got the chairman with all this bluster, you know, giving so many stories about so many things. He, he's like a salesman who's just trying to sell himself to the fans. You know, it's people can say, oh yeah, it doesn't matter. There's a load of bullshitters and football, isn't there? Like there are super hands on fucking peep show. But do you know what? It does matter because if you have a mantra, a working class club, and it, you know you can go on the town website, read it, look at the objectives. Are we hitting them? No. And I wouldn't have a problem where we are right now if we were hitting those objectives at all and if we had some kind of cohesive plan. And that's the thing that really pisses me off. That's why, why the, the, the hilarity of that sat. Saturday night Twitter of people finding out that oh wait a minute Westfield squash club didn't, was that, wasn't actually open then so was Phil at the game was he not at the game where was he actually having his glass of lemonade slash underage drinking or was he like uh, with a, a massive boombox in the eighties listening to Radio Leeds in, uh, drinking White Lightning somewhere the the hilarity of that is kind of like the Anthony Gerrard stuff that we got seven seven years ago eight years ago. It's the apathy that's creating that. And, you know, we're laughing at the club now because we don't have that emotional get- connection. We're not even angry. That's the that's the thing. You know, Gasly, right, o- OT, OT, when he came on last week, was very much looking forward to getting back to it. But, you know, Jesus Christ, if we do go back, we need them to, to at least honour their word. And it's not difficult to honour your word. But reading in and around the share situation and everything that's gone on in the last six weeks and the fact that nobody's calling the club out for it except uh, fans on Twitter, I, I genuinely wo- I genuinely wonder what we go back to when we can go back into grounds. Nightmare situations don't happen overnight. They take time to develop. And that's the thing. People sit there ex- and like, it's nice to have a positive outlook on life. I wouldn't fucking know, but I imagine, it, I imagine maybe once in my life I did have when I was you young. You live and, in Australia, hope- mate. You can go to the pub 
Your yeah, but kids. he's full of Australians. He's full of Australians. Right, so it's nice to have a positive outlook, right, on life. I, it was when I was young and I thought I could be a professional footballer. And then I realized I were only five foot ten and slow and not very good. And then and then that ended and then life became pretty shit, right? But some people still have positive outlooks on life, even when they, when they reach later life, like Gaz. We, we obviously all can't have a few investment houses. So Gaz has a rosier outlook on life than most people around him or will have at his age when we get there. But look, they like to paper over the cracks, I think, sometimes because they don't want to think of the of what could happen. And now, looking back over the last 18 months, it's not been great, has it? Like, when Phil first came in, this fucking... There was a betting, a betting issue in the... I don't know exactly what had gone on there, but that had to be sorted out by the FA before he could take over the club. Then you had the Paddy Power, Power nonsense that went on. Don't know if that was commercial director driven or Phil, whatever. Shit has gone on since Phil's taken over that didn't happen when Dean was here. Never, ever happened. And we're just progressing worse and worse and worse. Now, look, if things are going well on the football field, no one gives a shit. We all sit here thinking, great, we're winning like me, nine out of 10, get in, come on, let's go on, let's push up the up the league. But this regression back to where we were is really difficult to accept for some, for me, I can't take it. I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm getting there because like you say, it's just a farce now. You're seeing things and it's laughable. It's laughable on a weekly basis. And... And I think that's the biggest worry ever. I, I'm not I'm still not spending my money at the club for what's gone on until town release their figures, until we know what's going on exactly there. But fuck, this last these last few weeks have been like extra crazy. And I do put it all down to the club flapping. Fans are flapping and maybe showing it as humour in that we're trying to laugh out of this terror of being relegated into League One, like you say, where there's salary cap issues and we might not be able to get out of it for a few years because... You can't waft your big dick money about anymore because you've only got a 1.5 million salary cap. I think it is down there, and what's and and, and how and that that's that really does ha- stop clubs being able to buy themselves out of problems. Because like I think Rochdale paid for a player yesterday. We're in COVID. We're all talking about cash flow being an issue. Rochdale have, have paid a fee for a player because down there when salaries are low, the clubs have money to spend as well. So it's a level playing field, and bigger clubs like us at that level suffer because of it. It's it's a it's been a rocky few months and just we have to beat Wickham, don't we? I'm like, Cam, I'm, midweek games are fucking killing me. And now this week, I had a bit of an issue this morning. I'm like, okay, I'll watch the game, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, oh shit, have we got a midweek game as well? I'm like, no, we don't. Great, we're all right. We've got seven days off. We can, we can just relax for at least seven days before we've got to find an angle on it. Um, but we've got to beat Wickham, haven't we? we? We have to, because if not, that spiral is set in and it is set in and probably for good because we can't recruit anybody who's going to have an immediate impact. So come on, town, come on. Just dig out a win against Wickham. And after that as well, Middlesbrough-Swansea derby. You know, I'm, I'm not looking at this with with with, uh, with barrels of optimism, you know, in my belly. Middlesbrough seventh, Swansea third. I mean, you know, derby's going to be an important game just as much as, as, as Wickham is. But this is the worst possible time to play him. It's the worst possible time because I can't see us getting, I can't see us taking a game to anyone at the moment. I think, I'm, I'm, I hate the fact that I think a draw will be a good result. I really do. I mean, until we get this, you know, we get the devil off our back and we break this duck of not winning this year, I just can't see it stopping. I was so confident. And you all heard and you all, you all called me early and I thought, no, no, I'm going to, this is a hill I'm willing to die on. We're not going down this year. And I mean, now I'm looking at the table and I'm seeing the five point gap and the games in hand. I'm thinking, I don't know. Maybe I went a bit too early here. It's a long time ago. Yeah, eighteen games still to play. Eighteen games, man. 
you know, and, and going on the rates I gave earlier in the in, in, in the podcast, that means about nine goals we're going to score. So, I mean, fucking, fucking hell. It's like nine goals to save our season. I really don't know. So, I mean, oh, Jesus Christ. I think I'm down to commentate like one of the last two games of the season as well. I'm thinking, bloody hell. It's going to be like a repeat of, uh, it's, it's going to be a repeat of West Brom. So, I fucking, I, I, I just, I can't believe it's come to this. I can't believe I went so early and I was so sure. And I was even saying the big, you know, the, P, the PO word thinking we might have an outside push. I never really thought it were going to happen, but I thought it was more likely than we were going to go down. You can see the error in that now. Jesus Christ, it's like watching a different team. Well, I just, I've just got the form table in front of us here. If you want some good news, Cam, Wickham are second bottom of the form table and Middlesbrough <laughs> third bottom of the form table. The bad news is we're bottom of the form table, so that, that creates a problem in itself. But Wickham, Wickham's goal scoring is as bad as ours, as is Middlesbrough's. In the last six games... Borough have scored three goals, Wickham have scored six, and we've scored four. So they sound like two nil nil draws to me. Which, to be honest, on current form, if we could take, if we could sneak a win and a draw and take four points out of them two games, I'd be doing backflips. But I, I just can't <laughs> see. It. I just I just think when you play Wickham, we know they're going to play like when we played at their place. You know they're going to play, but the, but playing against it and combating it is quite another thing. And Borough will be the same, direct and strong like Luton were. And see, you know, the, the thing about going back to the League One days, really, and going back about 15 years, winding the clock, all this and stuff, you know, at least we used to beat Wickham by a lot of goals. I've seen them put six past Wickham twice since I've been a town fan. I'm not even going to score against them this time. It's worse Bring than it was Jordan Rhodes. Bring back Jordan Rhodes, that's what I say. We're getting to the ways of the roads money talk, aren't we? That's exactly where we're going here, lads. That's the next one. Uh, well, I think that's where we should leave it, um... You know, I'm sure I'm sure we've depressed you enough, but um, we are the realistic podcast. Huddersfield Town sit 17th in the Championship, um, five points clear of, of Birmingham City in 22nd place, and uh, yeah, 12 points off the playoffs. That that's long gone. That ship has sailed. Um, still, uh, only Wickham have conceded more goals than us this season, so um, uh, any money on a nil nil is probably not going to be one for next week. Uh, I think a score draw next week. Uh, Andy Keogh mistake and uh, Akin Fenwood's a score is probably where your money needs to be. Um, but we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see if Harry Toffolo <laughs> gets his red card rescinded for, ne- for next week. Because that, Will that end his um, run of starts? I believe it will, won't it? That'll be, that'll be a crying shame, but he's only got himself to blame. Thank you very much for listening. Um, enjoy the humour that is going around. Um don't be such a prude if you don't like it. If it's not for you, switch off it. I'm enjoying it. Um, and, and if you enjoyed this, let us know. Um, we'll be back next week. I hope you have a, a jolly good... I think this is... Is it the fifth or sixth week of lockdown that we're entering into? Um, hopefully, there'll be light at the end of the tunnel uh, when we get there and we can all be back in the stadium. I keep saying that every week. Fuck knows, it'll probably be 2023 by the, by the time we actually get round to it. My name's Greg Morrow. Thank you very much to Cameron... Gareth and Ian. Goodbye.